I would share that, you know, keep at it. When things get tough, you know, it eventually gets better. Don't stress yourself out. It's just a business. It's you want to do what you love. If you stop doing what you love, stop. Find something else to do, and, and just put all of your heart into it. Things will come together nicely, and and just work hard. That's it. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is John Torallo. He's the owner of the Steel City Salt Company. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Darren. Happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about the origin story. Before you started Steel City Salt Company, what were you doing immediately before that? And then where did the idea come from to create custom blends and salts and really to get into this business? Right before I started, I had several uh, odd jobs. So um, I worked as a pizzaiolo, and uh, I also worked as a handyman and a parking lot attendant. That was immediately, immediately before and um, just doing what I could do to help family out. They all had uh, small businesses together. You know, my grandfather uh, would park cars in the strip district. And uh, so I would help him out. My dad has a plumbing business. So I worked with him a lot and um, kind of did my own like handyman thing also. And uh, just, you know, worked with my hands a lot like right before. And then where did the idea come about for salt? Why, why salt? Why spices? Why get into this specific type of business? Well, you know, salt uh, specifically for me, it was really cool because when I was growing up, my grandfather was from Sicily and um, he had this really cool Sicilian salt that he had to get special ordered in from, I have no idea where, Sicily, obviously, but you know, and it always blew my mind because like salt for me was always that the umbrella lady on the can. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. It was chunky and it had this like weird moisture to it. And he cooked like the neatest thing. So that always kind of stuck in my mind. Salt is like, you know, it's kind of like they say bread is life, you know, the salt of life. It's the essence of, of all the dishes, spices, salts, peppers, all of that. You know, does that play into your heritage? Did you grow up with spicy food and trying different things like that? Yeah, actually, yes. So um, it, it depends. So half of the family likes spicy and the other half doesn't. So it depends who I'm with. But uh, yeah, all home-cooked meals. Um, my mom's side of the family, especially, they were so big. I mean, my grandma had over 14 siblings. Grandfather had six or seven. So dinners, especially for the holidays, were massive. I mean, it, the kids' table, the adults' table, and the big, big adult table, you know, and it was, uh, it was just so much flavor. It was the coolest thing. Now you got started in 2014 with your business and you started with an outdoor table set up down in the strip district and you're still operating there today, even though you have your storefront in Millville. What is it that you love about selling in the strip district and working in the strip district and have any of your interactions with customers given you ideas for new blends and new salts and new spices? Yes, I absolutely love the strip. I pretty much grew up there and I just love the interactions with everybody. You meet people from everywhere. It's the coolest thing. 
just to be able to just be there and just talk with people and knowing customers by name or knowing their faces and just over the years. I mean, I, I had a lady come in um, this weekend and, you know, she had a pretty thick accent. Like, where are you from? London. I'm taking these to London. Psh, mind blown. Like, it was the coolest thing. And it's just what I love down there. It's just the variety of people you meet. And um, for the blend, every blend we make just about is by customer request. Uh, so if enough people ask for something or it sounds really good, I try to make it. And uh, if it becomes a big hit, we keep it. If not, probably still keep it. But if it's really bad, then no, we don't, we don't keep it at all. <laughs> Do any particular blends come to mind right off the top of your head that have been customer suggested or even suggested by more than one customer that, that's been a big hit? Uh, yes. Uh, dill pickle salt, ghost pepper salt, sriracha was the first, and uh, malt vinegar. Those four were a lot of questions. Also, um, we have a new like bagel seasoning. And over the past year or so, everyone's been asking for like an everything bagel blend. And um, I'm kind of stubborn. I'm like, no, I'm making it. And then I do. And then I'm like, well, this is good. And, and you know, you go from there. Now, I know you have an Italian-American heritage. We were just talking about that. And you mentioned your grandfather. You got a Sicilian grandfather, I believe. What advice did he give you when you started to go down in the strip to start to sell? Well, you know, the thing is, so I have two Italian grandfathers. My Sicilian grandfather that had the, the salt, he, he passed away before I started the business. But my other grandfather who I work with in the Strip, he is born in the U.S., but he's Napolitan. And uh, he has the business side on the family. I mean, the advice that he gives me is just don't sell yourself short is the big thing. You know, know your value. Don't give anything away for nothing is what he said. Don't give anything away for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he says, you know, make sure that you like what you do. That's the big thing. And he was the one that worked down in the strip, you said? He had some experience working down there? Yes, yes. So when his father came over, they were hucksters. And they'd go to the terminal building and started with the horse and buggy. They'd go up to the Hill District. There used to be an incline on 16th Street. And they would go up there and they'd sell. And uh, he saved up and was able to buy a truck. And uh, then they opened a grocery store in Lawrenceville. So he would help his dad with that. And he did that a little bit, but then worked, I think, in the Bisco company for a while. But that was, uh, we always have family in the strip. My grandmother's from the strip district. And uh, it's just, it's like the hub of everything. So in 2018, you opened your location in Millvale, which is where you're at right now. You opened your retail location. First, why Millvale? Why did you open there? And next, can you tell me a little bit about the renovation process? What, what condition was the building in when you first took it over? And what type of work went into getting it ready for use? So I um, chose Millville mainly because a, a good family friend um, was on the Millville Community Development Board. And she actually helps us in the store a lot now. And um, she'd always say, Millville's great. She got us hooked up to be in the gardens here and, and rent a garden plot. And I, I always loved the neighborhood because it, it reminded me of Lawrenceville before Lawrenceville became like really up and coming. And, um, you know, I, I, I just liked it. The building came up and it was great neighbors. We'd walk on the street and everyone would say hello. Everyone at the gardens was nice. So it, it kind of just worked out that way. For the renovations, it was a mess. I mean, the building was completely in shambles. I mean, you had a water leak for the, the ceiling in the middle of the warehouse for God knows how long. And um, part of the ceiling was like open. It took my dad and I a while. And uh, him and I did everything except for the, uh, the electric we had to hire out for. But it was just a complete remodel. 
And can you tell us a little bit about the setup there? So the front of the store is your retail, obviously, the, the, the customer-facing part that people see when they come in. And then you have a production space in the back. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so um, we initially um, started fixing it up. I wasn't planning on putting a storefront in because we had the strip and wholesale and festivals. But it had this little area out front of 450 square feet. I said, you know what? We might as well just open the door. So we made that really, really nice. And then the warehouse is just big and open. Yeah, so it's the store, office, big warehouse, um, two big storage areas in the back as well. So you were able to consolidate all of your operations because before the store, you had kitchens in different places and you were storing stuff probably in different places. And by putting everything in one central location, that probably made it easier for you too, right? So much easier, so much better. I would have an order and you know, I have to go from one place to the other. It's like, oh, I got to get an order out to the post office, run there, run back and forth. It was... It was pretty rough. I, I, looking back, like I was nuts. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and that was for the first four years of your business too. Yeah, it was. It was. Mm-hmm. So you're truly running a mom and pop shop, right? Because your wife is involved in the business. She's your partner. So it's the two of you guys running this business. What are the division of duties, if you will? What is the different responsibilities that each of you have? And are there things that you naturally each gravitate to? Yes. So um, I think I told you before, I'm pretty disorganized. So if you like ever come into the warehouse, I post it everywhere because I forget, like, I'll, I'll be like, oh, I have an idea and I'll write something down and like, oh, write it down. Okay. And then it's like, where's that post-it out of the million, you know? So I do all of the blends and I'm much better with the customers, especially in the strip. My wife is better at the fine detail things like the labeling, the sealing the jars and in the store. I'm too loud to be in the store most of the time. So when customers come in, she's usually out here. <laughs> That's funny. You're, you're, the, uh, out, you're the outgoing one who's in the strip and talking to people and you're in the outdoors and she's working the storefront then. Right. It, it, it's tough because, I mean, in the strip, I, I could be loud and I can talk and I can explain things, but the store is so small, I don't want to be overbearing. So it just kind of gets like awkward. Like I'm just standing behind the counter, like, oh, can I help you? You know, we're in the strip. I'm like, try this, try that. Like, you know. <laughs> it's a little bit more too, like that old fashioned feel when you're in the strip of like, sort of the way things were sold a long time ago, you know, the, 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 the constant action and the, you know, the hustle and bustle, the people talking, the noises, the music, especially if it's like a sports weekend or a football weekend or something like that. There's just, it's like a carnival atmosphere. And if you're the kind of person that likes that and feeds off of that, it can really work. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it suits my personality perfectly in the store for my wife. I mean, each of us can do each other's jobs, but we have our strengths and weaknesses. And um, it works out well that, you know, my weaknesses are her strengths and vice versa. So I understand you have a cooking background. You talked about that a little bit ago with the pizza and everything like that. So given that you're selling spices and peppers and pepper blends and all of that. I'm sure you're using your own products in your own home cooking. What are some of the things that you like to use and that you like to cook with when you're making dishes at home? And, and if your wife likes to cook too, and maybe she does as well, what types of spices and things does she like to use? So um, I go through phases and it's with everything. Uh, for one month, I'll only use one thing mainly. And then I'm like, oh, I'm tired of that. And like go with something else. So uh, currently it's the Peruvian Inca blend. I've been putting that on everything. And um, I do all the cooking in the house. There's a few dishes my wife cooks. She's, she's from Peru. So the, like, the hardcore Peruvian dishes that have to cook for like 10 hours, I don't have the patience for it. She can do that. 
But it, it also depends what we're making. Like we're eating a lot of steak. I'll do the coffee rub. We've been making a lot of dips. So um, the garlic and herb and dill pickle. The, the general two salts, non-flavor that we use though, would be the Sicilian salt. And uh, I volley between the Himalayan and the uh, Peruvian just for that crunch. I, I'm all about texture. And so the, the crunchy Peruvian salt is uh, on point. Are there any desserts or dishes, sweet dishes that use any of your spices or cinnamon or things like that? And, and are you guys much of dessert makers at home or making sweets or pies or anything like that? Not so much. That's my mom does. So uh, I give her a ton of like garlic and ginger and nutmeg and uh, she's been crushing the pumpkin pie sugar. So while I'm not a baker at all, neither is my wife. Like I'll just hook my mom up with a bunch of stuff. She was actually just in today. And um, they'd be like, here, here. It's like, oh, you made a pie. Excellent. I'll have some. <laughs> now you started your business with wholesaling, right? So you were selling to restaurants and grocery stores and places like that. And then you built up the retail part of your business. First in the strip district, as we had mentioned, and then now in your store, your retail store in Millville. At this point in your business, you're six years in, does the retail portion make up the majority of your sales or is it more of an even split? And then can you also talk a little bit about wholesaling? What are some of the challenges that you come up against with wholesaling a product like yours? For the retail wholesale angle, I would say right now retail is winning out just because we're getting into the holiday season, but it's almost a 50-50 split. It really depends on the time of year. Online's been picking up so much for us that it's kind of nudging in more of the retail a section. The wholesale difficulties is um, shipping. So the salts are so heavy and they're in glass jars that uh, we try to do all of our deliveries ourselves. The furthest place is a place in Florida just ordered and they ordered four cases and the shipping was like 52 bucks. And it's like, well, like I, I can't give it away for nothing, you know? So we usually do split cost in those instances, but that's the hardest part with the wholesale. But the good news is most of our wholesale clients are within about 20, 30 miles of the city. So um, I usually just deliver Mondays and Tuesdays, myself or my wife or both. We usually just bang out all the deliveries that come in. And that's a good point for people who aren't as familiar with wholesaling is that people think that, you know, the upside is, well, you're selling larger quantities, you're selling to a restaurant or you're selling to a grocery store, for example. And, and that's great that you could sell a bigger quantity, but the drawback Number one is you're selling it at a lower price, right? Because you're going to sell it at a wholesale price because they need to be able to mark it up. So that's drawback number one. But drawback number two that a lot of people don't think about is the delivery, you know, the shipping or the delivery. So if they're local and you have to do a physical delivery, that's time, right? Out of your day and out of your schedule that you're now becoming a delivery driver and you're going out and dropping that off, which you know, there's probably some fun in that too. You know, you drop off to your local restaurant, you get to say hi to the cooks, to the chef. I'm sure some of that's fun, but it does take up, it can take up a large part of a person's time. And then of course, if you get into shipping where the wholesale account is further away, you know, say there's several hours away and you're not going to drive and drop it off. And now you're getting into the shipping expense, that's going to mark up your product. So those are some of the drawbacks that I think a lot of people don't always think about. And plus you have a specialty product, right? You're you're selling a premium product. Can you talk about how restaurants or bakeries receive or look at your product? You know, I'm sure some are willing to spend the extra that it would take to get a premium product, but not everybody's going to pay that because they're using this as an ingredient in their dishes that they're going to then sell to somebody else. And they're not really the customer, the end customer in the case of the restaurant who's eating the dish. They, they don't see what actually goes in anyway. 
And so the rush, the average restaurant owner is thinking, well, why, why am I going to increase the price of my dish when the person's not going to see it? Yeah. You know, it, it's really interesting. You pointed that out. Um, we actually do more with, with bakers and pastry chefs um, and chocolatiers than we do with restaurants, just because the salt really stands out, especially right on top. And, um, and they see it, the end customer sees it and, and gives you that crunch and that flavor. Restaurants can be tough because, you know, margins are really thin and it's like, well, I could use a, a really good smoke salt right on top to give it that nice little, you know, hearty smokiness or uh, just, ah, who's going to know? I put it in the oven and, and whatever. And uh, th- that's part of the difficulty. That's why um, it, it really switched then from restaurants to then retailers selling our products for the wholesale angle. Yeah. And that's another good point too, is the quality of your, your spices and blends is very high and it really actually makes a big difference in the taste of the food. It's just, it's not always visible. The, the, the customer doesn't know where that taste is coming from sometimes, unless like you said, it's visible on a, on the top of a pastry or it's almost used as a decorative element, if you will. So that's another good point too, is it's, it's got a powerful impact what you're offering, but the wholesale accounts and their customers don't always see it. Right, right. Whereas if somebody comes in your store and they see the beautiful product on your shelves and they can see the colors and they can taste it, because I think you sometimes have samples. Is that right? Do you have samples in your store and people can actually taste them? And that makes a big difference when you can really touch it and smell it and taste it and you know where it's coming from. Right, right. And plus we do all the, the grinding and mixing in the back. So while I can't smell anything in here anymore, like even today with the garlic, I'm do, I was doing the garlic in her, I'm like, oh, people come in and say, wow, it smells great. It smells this. I'm like, well, I really like to hear that because I hope it smells good. I can't smell anything in here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's the drawback with working with it all the time is you're, you're constantly, especially if you're smelling something as strong as garlic, I and mean, it's going to sort of knock out your, your nose sense, right? Your smelling uh, senses to be able to pick up on the subtleties of some of the other things. Right, right. Tell me about the uh, logo that you guys created. It's a really cool logo. People are familiar with it if they've seen your product. It's a small little engraving. And I think if they've ever come into your store, they've seen, yeah, you have this really cool engraving hanging on your wall. Where did that come from? Where did the idea come from and who did it? So um, I had a friend um, in Lawrenceville named Cole, who I believe now lives in Michigan, Minnesota. Uh, and he was a woodcut artist. And um, I have zero design skills at all. And um, we came to him and we're like, listen, we want a logo. I kind of want it rustic, like a salt guy. It's a salt company and like go. And this is, this is what he did and came up with. And it was brilliant. And um, he did a, a large logo. And it's funny with the woodcut because he had to do it backwards. So then when he, he stamped it down, it, it comes out um, proper facing. He was worried about shrinking the logo to put on top of the jars. So he actually carved an identical little logo. That's why the jar logo on top is just slightly different than the one like on my shirt, our, our main one. And um, uh, he did a great job. It, it was unbelievable what he did. So we were talking about retailing and selling your product. And I'm sure you're, you're also selling your product online, right? You're selling online, you're shipping your product all over the world. What are some of the more interesting places that you've shipped your product? Uh, the furthest one I, I would say is in Japan. I think we had one in New Zealand. Uh, we had two in Japan recently, Austria, uh, a really great customer of, my, of mine, uh, Mariah. She would always visit me in the strip. I haven't seen her in like a year. And I'm wondering like, well, maybe she stopped liking salts. I don't know. Cause I remember everybody like in the strip that I meet. And all of a sudden I got an email out of the blue, like, Hey John, this is Mariah. 
I've moved to Cyprus and that's why I haven't been in the strip. Do you ship there? We're like, Oh yeah. Like, of course. So, uh, we shipped out a bunch of stuff for her. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's Cyprus. She says, we can't find any good salts besides large flaky Cyprus salt out there. So I didn't send her our Cyprus salt, of course, but everything else. And, uh, it's really cool. I mean, we have orders from all over the United States daily and, it just gets into my mind. They find us in the strip. I, I remember you brought up an idea of um, putting on the website, like, where have you heard about us? And that's something I'm looking into doing um, just because it, it blows my mind. Some of these orders we get in Maine, California, Illinois, like, where did you see us? And, uh, and they're repeat orders. Yeah, it's really interesting because you don't know if they're coming from just an online search or if they've been here or if they have a relative here. And yeah, if you put something, we talked about, you know, putting a little field on your on your order form or something, just optional, of course. Some, a lot of people won't fill it in, but some people might say, you know, a field that says, you know, where did you hear about us? Somebody might go on there and check that out and actually fill it in and say, hey, you know, visited Pittsburgh once last year and saw you in the strip, loved your energy, loved your product and wanted to bring it home with me, brought some home with me, wanted to order some more. So it's, it's kind of amazing to see where all these orders from around the world come from, right? It's, it's kind of cool. Right. One of the best things that happens in the strip, I can't say in the store because, you know, my wife's always out here. I'm hiding in the back making stuff. But um, <laughs> like even this past weekend in the strip, people come in and say, oh, we're so glad you're here. We come in once a year and you're our specific stop and we go here. And it's like, wow, like th that means so much. And uh, it's really great to, to hear that. And the one cool thing about your product too is it travels well, right? Like if somebody's coming into Pittsburgh, if you're going to buy something food related, you're pretty limited on what you can buy. Any person's limited. I mean, you're it's it's hard to take something that's going to that's going to be perishable back on an airplane with you, but you know, salts and jarred items and things like that really do travel well and they last a long time. So you could take home a spice or a couple bottles of spices and that could last just months. And so it's a kind of a way to have a little souvenir, a little taste of Pittsburgh and bring it back with them. So I'm sure you probably hear that from some of your, your, your customers as well. Yeah. The big thing we hear is, can I get this through TSA and will it travel well? Will it break? And it's yes to both of them. It's funny because whenever we travel, we load up our backpacks with like spices and everything. And every once in a while you may get stopped because like, what is this? Like, oh, spice is cool. And like, there you go. But, um, our jars are insanely resilient. You can drop a jar. I'm not recommending it, but if you do, it most likely won't break. The lid will probably break, but not the jar. So it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I could see the TSA. It, it's oregano, really? Are you sure it's oregano? It's <laughs> 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 just parsley. I, I, I swear, it's just parsley. <laughs> what are your thoughts about growing your small business? You have a mom and pop shop like we talked about. You're small. You've been small for six years. Is this something that you intend? Is this on purpose to stay small, stay family oriented, get the family involved, make a living at this, enjoy what you love? Do you want to do that and, and be able to have your hands in all the different aspects of your business? Or do you plan to be a big giant company and grow? People take spice companies like yours and they become international, even national, big giant companies. Is that an intention of yours? It is not, no. Uh, I, I don't really want to have a company that's so big that I, that I can't enjoy it, that um, you know, I have to work 10 times harder and I, I can't be hands-on. I, mean, I absolutely love what I do, everything about the business. Well, bookkeeping is one of those things you know, that it's like, I don't think anyone enjoys too much, but everything else I, I absolutely love. And um, I, I think a big problem nowadays, especially is um, selling my grandfather nowadays, is that 
you know, people want to go get too big too soon. And it's kind of like the kiss of death. Uh, you know, I, I just want to keep a nice small business that provides a good living. We continue to, to pump out really good products, quality, and, and just continue to do what we love and keep it in the family and, and keep things simple. This is a good lesson for anyone listening who has either started a business or wants to start a business and has a desire to keep it small. And maybe they're questioning themselves because they've been running their business for a few years and they're like, wait a minute, should I be growing my business? Should I be expanding my business? Because that's what everybody else does. Scale, 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 right? No, you don't have to do that. This is a great, you're a great example. And I've talked to others as well of people who intentionally want to keep their businesses intimate and family oriented and small and know there's nothing wrong with a person who wants to do that. That's an intentional choice. There's a reason for it because like everything, there's drawbacks, there's pros and cons, right? To growth and size and everything else. And for you, you've, you're weighing those things. It's probably something you think about often because you're gonna naturally have some growth. When you're successful like you right. and you have a successful product and you have a well-branded product and you're growing locally and you're selling internationally with your product, I mean, you're gonna have some growth. You can't stop it. But there's a difference right. between that and trying to just go full steam ahead and pump it out and really try to grow too fast. And so, um, you know, I think anybody listening to this can take home a lesson of that it's okay to, to, to have an intention to stay smaller and it's, it's a very reasonable thing. You know, it's how I feel. I mean, when you first start, you went, I want to get into, you know, the giant eagles and the Walmarts. And, you know, looking back, like I would, I would hate to, to be in every single store, you know, just because it's like we stick with mainly smaller retailers that resell our products because they care about the product. They say, I've used this. I use it for here. And, and you know, that, that's like a piece of us that people are using in their cooking. Just keep it simple. Yeah, and being, it would be a nightmare to be in some of these big, grocery stores and department stores because they're mega companies and they have they put such pressure on retailers and people see that sometimes as the you know the holy grail if you will to be in these places but you know there's a lot of drawback that can come with that especially if you're a small business and you're not prepared for all of the things that it takes to to service an account that large right right yeah if, if they were to call be like I, like I probably couldn't even do it i mean everything's ground and mixed by hand and and then you know, I, I don't want to get machines to do my work for me. I am the machine. <laughs> Speaking of that, I mean, have you ha, have you turned down wholesale accounts? Has there been any wholesale opportunities, if you will, not not, not just from big giant chains, but even smaller businesses? But maybe they were maybe they were too far away, and the shipping cost was prohibitive. Is there anything like that that's that you've had to say no to? Yes and no. So I, I won't turn down a wholesale client unless they want us to change something up. So put on like the GS1 barcodes because we have too many products or, or put on, um, change our specs some sort. This is our product. This is the price. This is the wholesale price. And, and that's it. And this is our two case minimum or three case minimum or whatever it is. For the smaller accounts that are far, I said, we'll ship to you, but this is the shipping cost. And I'm willing to work with you and you know, maybe do split costs or something like that. But you know, that's, that's the best I can do. And uh, the, the big things we don't do, I, I usually don't co-pack for anyone. Um, mm -hmm. We just stick to our, to our own thing. Speaking of wholesale, one last thing on the wholesale accounts. How do you get your wholesale accounts when you do get them? Are you, it sounds like you're not actively trying to pursue wholesale accounts. It's more, you're just sort of taking what's coming in or, you know, if there's inquiries or interest and people are really interested that you may 
service that account, but it's not like you're going out and trying to get a whole bunch of new wholesale accounts. Right, right. We don't actively search for wholesale accounts. Most of the wholesale accounts that we do find are people that have either come to the store or the strip and they've loved the product and they have a small shop or it's our customers that ask their businesses, oh, there's this really great product that you should carry in your store. And that's, that's what we do. Now, we talked about your favorite spices and what you like to cook with. What are some of the favorite spices of your customers? What are people, what are your top, you know, whether it's on the spicy side or the, the less spicy side or the baking side, what are some of the top ones that people gravitate to over and over again that people rave about? Our top sellers in the entire company, number one, hands down, the Steel Town Garlic and Herb Blend. Every weekend, every day, order, almost every online order has that in it, always. Second is the black and gold barbecue blend. Third can volley between the dill pickle salt or either the sriracha or the ghost pepper, people that like spicy. Now in the um, holiday season and the baking season coming up, either regular cinnamon, cinnamon sugar, or the pumpkin pie sugar. And those are, are generally the, the best sellers. Garlic and herb, black and gold, dill pickle salt. Well, a couple of those are ones that I like. I like the black and gold. I like the dill pickle. I like the Peruvian. And I like yeah. the cinnamon as well on the more on the sweet side or I guess baking side of things. Mm-hmm. We go through the cinnamon like crazy in the house with, with a couple kids here. <laughs> <laughs> the cinnamon's on the table every, every, uh, every weekend for breakfast. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> How has the pandemic affected your business? I'm assuming that on the wholesale side, you definitely felt some impact because you're selling to restaurants or small grocery stores or bakers that probably had shut down orders when they were, especially in the early days of the pandemic. But your online business, you know, as we'd mentioned, you you probably had restricted hours on your retail side as well. But then on your online, you know, you could, you know, it's business as usual. You could sell online. And did, did that part of your business spike up a little bit when people couldn't come in as much? And what has 2020 been like for you so far? Well, um, online has spiked incredibly that was one of the things that I kind of wanted to improve online. As you probably know, I'm not very technologically inclined. So even like updating the website and doing things, it's usually a, a friend or a cousin that helps with that. Uh, but the online business skyrocketed during the pandemic when we were shut down. And, uh, you know, we sent out an email to our customers letting them know, like, we're still here. We're still making products. We're working on new blends. And, you know, we have such a great client base that, I think a lot of people just ordered just to help us survive. I mean, because I can see on, on our website when people order before and when they um, repeat orders and things like that. And there could be someone that just ordered a week ago and they're ordering the same exact thing times three um, when we would send on an email, like, you know, we're still here. And it, it just, it's crazy how things switched in such a way. Uh, we didn't open our strip location to, I believe, June or July. And that was rough because we're there April, May, June. So three months we missed out. All of our festivals have been canceled, but we're doing more online, a little bit more in the store, and the strip is getting kind of back to normal. So things are starting to even out now. And the festival season was kind of shut down, so you probably didn't get to do some of the outdoor festival-type things that you would normally do as well. Right. And that was really tough for us because um, you know we do a lot of our business in festival season. September through November, and they've all been completely shut down. And the virtual events aren't the same, but I know they'll be there next year. And Mm -hmm. we're surviving, and uh, we're doing a lot online. The silver lining of the pandemic was we had uh, a lot of downtime to reorganize the warehouse. 
um, fine tune production and come up with some new blends and, and plans for the future. So it, it worked out well that way. Did the pandemic affect your supply of getting some of your raw materials? Did you have any, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of different blends, a lot of different things that you, you're using. Did you, did you have any trouble getting any of your materials or things that you would normally use to create your products? Not at first. Um, I, I kind of, when the pandemic started, I bought like a pallet and a half of jars because we have very specific jars that we use. And they have been out since then, March. There's a jar glass shortage. That's why a lot of candle makers can't make candles now. Mason jars are like, can't find them a lot of places. So I, I lucked out by getting a pallet and a half. A month ago, I was running out. I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm like, well, thank goodness the festivals aren't here because I wouldn't be able to sell anything. And, um, you know, we were able to, to hook up with a few new suppliers and, uh, and restock our jars. Some of the countries that were still shut down, like Peru, before things got really serious, um, I, I got a lot more salt and uh, more spices to, to keep on back stock because salt really doesn't go bad. And um, it, we were able to forecast that in such a way that we didn't really have many issues. John, as we wrap up here, what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs who are starting their own businesses or they're in family businesses like you? Maybe they want to stay small and they heard this podcast and they heard what you had to say. What lessons have you learned over the last six years that you could share that you would impart on somebody listening to this? I would share that, you know, keep at it. When things get tough, you know, it eventually gets better. Don't stress yourself out. It's just a business. It's you want to do what you love. If you stop doing what you love, stop, find something else to do and, and just put all of your heart into it. Things will come together nicely and, and just work hard. That's it. John, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Darren. It's really nice to talk to you always. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com, thestartupshop.net, that shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh Podcast. Take care.